My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. Welcome to Art Muse Podcast. So this episode's theme is interconnection and I think it's probably um, a very accurate description <laughs> because I am going to be talking about a few diverse topics underneath that theme. So if we think about what interconnection is, it's just having a commonality, a common point of connection between multiple things. But today, obviously, we're going to be talking about creativity and therapeutic art making, personal growth, healing. So that is our point of interconnection. That's what all of these different topics are going to be relating to. But I wanted to touch on a few different things to kick off the year. One of my primary things I really wanted to touch on in this episode, and I almost did an entire episode on it, but I just think it probably fits better within this discussion, at least for now, is our connection with our environment and how to be more mindfully, ecologically conscious and environmentally aware in our art practice. So we will be touching on that. I will be touching on multiplicity and kind of this idea of having lots of different versions or lots of different identities within art making, lots of different styles. And I guess what that means, a lot of people have a lot of resistance to that and a lot of fear around that. I see that pop up a lot for people wanting to have their artist style worked out and done. So we're going to touch on that a little bit because I think that's highly relevant. And I'm also going to touch on the subjects of copying and influence and just the interconnection there between artists and where we find our inspiration. I guess some of the ups and downs and roller coaster of that. And also, I wanted to just touch on to, to begin with that art is a point of interconnection. Our art making is a way that we dialogue between multiple different points of reference. So, for example, an, uh, an art product, a creative product, is usually an interconnection between our external environment and our internal environment. So, our external experience and our internal experience, it sort of like... Uh, develops and unfolds between the two it's an interconnection between lots of different art materials and processes which can be done in so many different ways when we think about art making from that perspective as an interconnection a process that happens between materials it really just highlights the multitude and diversity of that artwork is barely ever the same unless it's intentionally sought out and even then there's all of these subtle differences because that interconnection is so much more complex than what we imagine i think we often reduce our understanding of connection in order for it to feel more controllable and to make sense but it is actually quite a complicated thing and and quite often when you sit down and start to think about the points of connection and how something gets produced it is really big. There's all of these processes that, that happen just from creating the materials to receiving them to making that meaning to evolving the meaning um, and to forming something into a physical form. So when we also think about interconnection, we think about the life of the creative piece we've made. And I spoke to that a little bit in the first guest interview with artist Deborah Worthy Collins. We spoke about her experience of having a very private art practice and having a very private space and relationship with her art making and moving and birthing that and that artwork into the public sphere. So when she exhibits and so there is this interconnection between private and public and individual and collective and then within collective spaces, within collective viewing spaces, they the different contexts can definitely 
definitely engage the artwork in a different way. So a gallery versus an outdoor setting versus a home studio versus a shop. There's kind of like this interplay and this interconnection that's constantly happening between the art product and the environment. And there is also this interconnection and this narrative and this story that happens between artworks and bigger cultural social contexts. And they change over time. So I think that's a really interesting thing with creativity is that the relationships, the interconnections between different elements of the world world are kind of constantly in motion they're constantly fluid it's not always static it's not always the same I mean obviously that's certainly the way when we think about artist value over time and how um, a lot of artists work increases in value over time but the relationship with the artwork itself so there yeah there's this constant evolution and I think over time that changes because our social political environment changes all the time so artworks can be viewed differently to what they used to be sometimes that meaning can build and sometimes it can retract and get lost and that's what makes art so fascinating I mean that's why art historians find artwork so fascinating is because they are obviously interpreting and experiencing the art piece as it is now but they're fascinated by what it has meant in time and as time has changed and how that artwork has been valued and interpreted differently and that's what makes every viewer view it artwork differently is because there's this interplay and interconnection between our experiences and our perceptions and the artwork in front of us so most artworks will have different associations different interpretations different meanings and yeah it's what makes it so exciting I think that's what makes art so powerful and so diverse and so important I hear a lot of people be doubtful about the place of art in the world um, particularly at times like now when there are lots of world conflicts there's lots of existential concern terrible genocides and and war crimes happening in current time and there obviously has been many over history and people feel a little bit guilty like who am I to make art when there's atrocities happening and I, I just think it's not helpful to devalue art art is like really important and really essential for so many reasons so you know if I stand on my little soapbox one of the reasons is that it will support you and nurture you individually which is so important like we all need to build our resilience and our hope and our joy and our love so that we can pour it out to other people in need that might not have those resources or that resilience it's a means of expression and it can hold not just positive experiences but art making is here for the difficult feelings as well and it can be a safe place to hold that and secondly art making is a messenger like it encompasses and houses a message and an experience for other people and whether that is just sharing beauty and reprieve and sanctuary or whether that's capturing and holding and memorializing and documenting something you know like we look at botanical drawing and what that has captured over the years or map making or you know capturing stories of people's lives and leaving legacy that way but it can also be a vehicle for political and social commentary and that's not for every artist but there's plenty of artists and creatives out there that actively use their art making as a way to get people to question and consider different viewpoints So it's absolutely really powerful and really relevant no matter what is happening in the world. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that for you, that all of those types of art making all have place and importance. And art making can be a really lovely way to connect, a really solid point of interconnection, not just 
through paradigms and perspectives, but through just sharing experience with people, even in the making. Work, art making can be sociable and it can be a point of communication and emotional connection and sharing um, in various formats, whether it's just making alongside of each other, whether it's consuming and viewing artwork together. It can raise discussions. Art making and creativity is a brilliant form of interconnection. And we can really lean into that. We can really harness that if we want to. I guess it's probably relevant then if we're talking about this dialogue that happens between people to think about copying and influence. And like, I think that's almost, that is almost a podcast. I'm saying almost because I'm going to talk about it today, but it is very almost a podcast on its own because it's a big topic. But artwork isn't really made in isolation is made through synthesizing all of this feedback from the world. And so therefore, when artists are making art, they are influenced by artworks they've seen or processes they've learned or things that they've consumed from elsewhere. You know, it it is really well known within the art and creative world that people are influenced by each other. And whether that's articulated or not, but if you dive into art history or any sort of academic art studies, you will learn that curators or art historians will connect the dots they will see the interconnection between some people's artwork and other people's artwork that an artist has been influenced by another or by a generalized group or a generalized movement that was happening and this was particularly so i think prior to this evolution of like fast knowledge and fast information with the internet it kind of it makes it more fragmented i think historically we can probably see those points of interconnection more more precisely Um, within certain countries and certain localities because it wasn't as diluted and people had to kind of engage with resources and engage with each other in a much more literal form. There wasn't this like spreading of photography and videos so virally and so quickly. Artwork was documented and you know there were exhibitions and auctions and people would have apprentices and there was different training institutions so there was a lot of sharing of artwork there was a lot of exposure to different artworks artists often did form collectives and kind of push and explore ideas together or alongside of each other and so there are like kind of these um, bubbles of art movements and um, changes in the genres and styles of different times So there is always an interconnection. I think technology adds such an interesting layer to that, I guess is the right word. I don't even know how to articulate technology. It's something that has come up so consistently in previous episodes. And I think it will continue to because it is this like double-edged sword. On one hand, I think like it's really exciting that we can have access to all this inspiration and we can have access to imagery. I've seen some really funny memes of like, you know, I guess kind of playfully teasing artists that have depicted a horse or a cat in history and then obviously have not had access to a real life horse and cat because the face is really distorted or it looks too human. And it makes you think, oh yeah, that's right. Like I can just, when I'm doing a picture of a cat, I just Google a cat and then I have a reference image. I can like, look, oh, that's how the eyes go and the nose is shaped like this and I obviously add my own artistic flair and artistic license to it but you can look at things and it means that you have oh just like a a speed I guess a, a fastness and an accessibility that would have previously been frustrating you would have been limited to certain subject matter based on your imagination or based on your ability to view it 
and to do life drawing from it. So that's a really interesting perspective is that that relationship between environment and subject matter was more limited based on the fact that you didn't have easy access to it. I mean, there are books and things, I'm not silly, but but it required like planning and going to libraries and getting books out and, you know, finding exact photographs would have been of reference points would, would have been much more difficult. And their clarity within those photographs has obviously changed over time. So there's all of these really interesting kind of contextual limitations and things that have shaped art practice over the years. And I'm definitely so thankful that I can find fast reference images um, and I don't have to go and look for a cat if I want to do a cat picture. I can just kind of use lots of different images combined with my memory for what a cat looks like. If if we're thinking about inspiration and copying, um, it's a complex subject. And I think I would probably pull those two words out apart. I think copying can have really negative associations. And if we're thinking about it as in like copying not to learn, but copying to make money, copying to produce, copying to sell off as your own or to indicate that it's your own is like a real sign of immaturity to begin with, but really not wise. You know, like I wouldn't, I mean, some paintings are obviously incredibly famous, but I wouldn't copy someone and say that that's my original idea. Like you always need to reference who you've learnt from or who who you've copied. And it's okay to copy. Like a lot of artist apprentices over the years have copied through learning. And it's the same with dance or singing. You know, you learn to sing through singing other people's songs. You don't very rarely start off singing your own. Um, or writing your own and be the same for cake making you make other people's recipes it's absolutely okay to learn through others processes and then that's how you that's how you also benefit from often kind of skipping all those processes that that person had to push and challenge you I certainly know if someone was copying my artwork I'd be like thankful that they didn't have to go through the journey of figuring out all of the mistakes and problem solving the tricky bits and they could just sort of see and learn the juicy bits the bits that worked but I think there comes a point where you do have to move and shift into your own development and that often comes to the point where you want to share it more so you want to share more widely you might want to inhabit more of an artist profile you might want to even start making money off your creativity and at that point it becomes wise to stop copying the temptation for some people is that they get lots of approval they might get lots of approval and um lots of you know if we're talking about online marketplaces they might even get lots of orders from people that don't know the history or they don't know they haven't been exposed to the person that that they're copying and so then it's like it suddenly becomes a very like steep slope and yeah it becomes about money and praise rather than about the evolutions and the benefits of creative process I think if you go back to your why and why you're making art and what you want from it, you're going to get so much more richness and so much more learning and so much more self-connection and so much more personal growth and I believe so much more mastery and celebration when you have formulated something yourself, when it is entirely your own. Saying that, sometimes there can be similarities in people's artworks and creative things and that's there's multiple reasons for that. One of them is because obviously with however many billion people in the world and the ways the way that, that humans work and the interplay and the interconnection between our influences for art making, there are going to be people that have the same 
same makeup for want of a better word and experiences and that's going to lead them to make things that are similar to each other they're going to have the same ideas and you know you can't copyright ideas so many of us go to the beach and think wow this is an incredible incredible beach and at sunset it would look just perfect and what if you know the moon was rising just above the ocean and you know perhaps there was a whale and maybe if I just changed you know this color slightly and this color and then created it into a painting yeah there's going to be probably quite a lot of sunset beach pictures with you know a whale in the ocean and a crescent moon and a pink and blue ombre color palette like it's, it's just going to happen. There's going to be multiple of them. And so I think if you know you're creating something that is thoroughly identified with and enjoyed and experienced by multiple people, you do have to be wary about staying super close to it that you think someone's copied your idea. Saying that, if it's an exact replica and every single paint brush stroke is exactly the same, then yes, you do have reason to be furious and raging that someone has just like photocopied it or extracted it on Photoshop and then placed it onto canvas and is selling it but between genuine artists there is like this gray area around I feel like commonality and shared connection and then we come into the territory of inspiration and I think we do naturally pick up things from each other and that's why sometimes I really struggle when I'm planning podcast episodes or I'm writing blogs is because there's a part of my brain that's like, oh, where did I get this from? Like, this isn't something I just like woke up with and got out of bed and was like, oh, I've had this realization today and this thought. It's it's come from somewhere. You know, I've been influenced by something. And sometimes that's a more pronounced connection than other times. Other times I'm like, oh, I feel like I've worked on this. My brain is, my subconscious brain has been working on this and I have a knowledge of it. But is it a knowledge of a singular thing or is it a knowledge from multiple things? And it can be hard because it gets lost in there. Like there's so much going on. And I'm someone that like kind of picks out the things that are curious to me. And then I often do formulate it and adapt it and connect it. And it, it's kind of one of my skills in that I can reflect back to people quite well and help them find meaning quite quickly because I sort of hold all of these different ideas and sort of modulate them and, and find that interconnection. But the downside of that is sometimes I'm not really sure where my bits and pieces have come from and who I've been influenced by. And that can be frustrating, particularly when I'm sharing those insights with other people and I want to reference things, but I have like no clue where it's come from. And that's often the case I think sometimes with creatives is that they know they've seen bits and pieces of things. They know that they've, you know, enjoyed the way that a certain color has been used or something's been depicted or a really quirky, unusual gesture has been made, but they can't kind of anchor it. So I think when it comes to copyright, like it is worth if you're making a lot of artwork in the public realm, particularly if you're in design and illustration, to seek some really thorough education on like the laws and legislations. Also how you can empower yourself to respond and behave if you do notice someone copying your work and selling it and just how to protect yourself with copyright because it is a really big topic and it is quite a complex one. So it's worth kind of upskilling and educating yourself on that. I haven't been making artwork in the public realm for quite a long time and have only recently re-immersed myself. So I'm quite unfamiliar with it. I'm not going to be speaking to it 
too much and I do want to add that kind of disclaimer I guess into this conversation is I'm more interested in the interconnection of ideas and inspiration and that's why I'm touching on copyright. I'm also aware of the way that artists have learnt historically as I've just mentioned but I'm certainly not advocating for in any way shape or form for anyone to copy an artwork and sell it on even if you're referencing the person even if they're dead or alive, like there is problems with that. It's really frustrating. I've gone on Etsy, which is an incredible online marketplace and it has had so many problems and is really losing its standing because it's been flooded. A, it's supposed to be a handmade marketplace for people that make artisan goods and artworks. Secondly to that, it's been flooded with people replicating other people's artworks, like stealing them, maybe modifying 10, 20%, 30% just to try and evade the laws. If they do that, some of them people don't even bother with that and then selling it. And also there's a lot of people on there selling things that have come out of copyright protection. So when an artist dies, depending on the country, there's a period of time. No, I can't be so specific. I think it's 90 years and once it comes out of that time frame then it becomes public domain so then obviously that's why you see certain things I taught a workshop recently that included we were looking at Henry Matisse and his the cutouts can be bought in spotlight (laughs) and all over the place and yeah that's a whole other discussion for another day see I told you it was almost a podcast of its own and so like you just heard me I do art workshops sometimes art classes where I'm like okay guys this is what we're looking at today we're looking at this artist we're looking at inspiration let's see how they learn this let's see what makes their work powerful let's have a go at creating it in the style that's absolutely okay because it's in the context of education it's context of personal expression and making it yeah there's a time and a place to think of copyright and inspiration but we are inspired by our world our context we're inspired by other artists other artworks and it can be helpful to think of that interconnection it can be really cool when you look at an artist that has done that really well and you can see for example references to pop culture but they've been really modernized and they've been blended with the artist's own flair Um, and you sort of recognize there's a familiarity in something and you're like oh I, I recognize a little bit of that but it's done in a really different way and it's done with intention and it's done yeah with purpose and it can be really useful I think to be aware of that and to reflect on that with yourself like where do my where is my interconnection coming from what do I find inspiration from what feeds my creative practice um who am I inspired by and inspired is a much more kinder word than copying and a healthier word and I think if we give ourselves power to be inspired by others then I think it instantly almost encourages us to be individual in that pursuit whereas when we're saying copying it's almost like we're dampening ourselves down and constricting ourselves to then follow through on it being a a mirror image and you see this with kids all the time don't copy me you're copying me and I think in response to that I often say like are they or are they being inspired by you are they trying your style and usually when you start that dialogue around like oh well you know let's let's talk that stop for a minute and think about copying and inspired how would you fi- how would you feel if we just said that they really enjoyed what you were doing and they were really excited by it and they want to try it out and you just see this transformation with kids and you can probably do it with adults but most of the time that literal conversation for me happens with kids you see this like transformation in that they instantly a feel like really excited like oh gosh someone likes my enough to be inspired by it to try it out 
And then they also often will start teaching the other person. So they'll start imparting their tips and their knowledge, which is always super cute. And they, the person that is suddenly, rather than feeling caught out, like, oh, now I'm in trouble for copying, they'll start to kind of like embrace the fact that they are learning from the other person. It just instantly starts this dialogue. And then once they've learnt whatever it was that they wanted from that person, whether it was just they were seeking a relational connection or whether they actually did want to learn to draw cutesy eyes, they will then start to make it their own. It gives them kind of like this empowered freedom to like move on from it rather than stay constricted in it. So it's a really interesting process that happens when we change the language. As long as it's in a healthy setting as I said and not in a professional landscape if we think about that not just from a perspective of what other artists inspire us but like where does our artwork come from that is like really enriching as well because it gives us a point of location if we are struggling to get started or we're struggling to find ideas if we know sort of that like For example, that nature usually gives us lots of inspiration or music feeds into our other creative practices or, you know, listening to podcasts makes us feel inspired or, you know, reading literature does or it gives us a point, a reference point. It gives us a bit of a guide, a bit of a mapping around, okay, like where can I find myself and my arts practice and where can I guide it and where can I get more of it when it's lacking or where can I kind of expand it when I feel stuck in a rut and there's so many places to find it. You know, artists have typically hung out at cafes because there's something sometimes around being around people, being around everyday life, kind of being around other people's interactions that they find enriching. And, you know, painting outside has also been a very big thing historically, finding inspiration from nature. And there's all of these different ways that we lean into that interconnection between our outside and our our internal world in a way that allows us to be expressive and create something, create a product. So leading on from that, I guess, is this idea of multiplicity. Sometimes we can get stuck particularly if we've been looking at a lot of people's portfolios and a lot of people's statuses. And somewhere along the line, this the social narrative is that we will we need to have a style and that we need to be a singular, reliable form of expression and we need to get there as fast as possible. And it's just not the case. Like, I think there is so much benefit from being really diverse and having um, lots of different areas to kind of play in and to express yourselves in and I've I've touched on this before because it has been a big part of my personal journey and it's still something I juggle with a lot actually is I tend to get myself stuck in well it's not even stuck really I sometimes voluntarily stay there I kind of like that predictability I get a lot of soothing and a lot of comfort from my art making so once I find one thing that works that's it I'm done I'm there like that's me and that's really good. I think that provides me with so much. Sometimes it limits me because when I do get pushed outside of that and into exploring and trying other things, I feel a, I feel a fresh flood of energy and I feel a lot of benefit from that and obviously get excited and often integrate new knowledge. And I'm like, oh, why did it take me so long? You know, why has it taken me so long to try, as I mentioned last episode, try gouache painting? You know, I stopped painting because oil wasn't working for me, but I didn't kind of, wasn't able for a range of reasons, but I didn't kind of adopt an explorative style. And I think that's just part of what makes me me. But I do want to touch on the fact that if you don't have a style, 
if you're the opposite to me, where you don't find comfort and reliance and nurturing in, you know, one or two materials and you're all over the shop and you've got so many different projects and you work across lots of different crafts and you try impasto painting and then you try um, knitting and you try wire sculpture and you've just done all of these different things or you you find that you're a dancer as well as a singer that's absolutely fine I think sometimes we can think like we need it packaged up and presentable and you know that's for a range of reasons but that's just not how creativity works it can definitely be diverse and you know people look for that thread and this is something that I'm actually going to talk more about the interview with Luca next week that I've already recorded it and she's going to articulate it quite a lot better than I do but this kind of concept that we don't have to be a singular that actually we can be all these diverse things because the interconnection between all of those expressions is us. Luca talks about this so I'm looking forward to you listening to that but she talks about it's me it's all me and that is so that is such a powerful realization and it instantly alleviates that pressure and that necessity to have to make it packageable and I don't know if that comes from what you know a long history of artists wanting to be represented by galleries, wanting to be well-known and purchased, wanting to stand out. But often when we look at historical artists, we're looking retrospectively and the, the work is selected in a way that makes sense. And it's that linear thing of, with hindsight, you can see like, oh, that experience contributed to that and that makes sense with that. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So you connect all these dots to make this like linear journey which I'm not taking away from, but it's not how it feels in the moment. People that are expecting it to feel linear while it's happening, it won't do. It'll feel messy and chaotic and you'll feel like there's so many different versions of yourself. That packaging and that formulation comes with hindsight and I'm all, I find this really challenging. I'm such a formulator. I like to make sense and meaning of things pretty quickly. (laughs) And I will look and look and look and look so that I can connect the dots because it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel most helpful. But I'm working with it because I think there's so much to celebrate in not doing that and just allowing a really eclectic mix of things. And the interconnection doesn't have to be any more complicated than the fact that it was you that made it and that was it. That's it doesn't it doesn't have to be recognizably you you know you made it and so I think that's enough and you know like I said everybody's different so some of us will stick with our one or two art materials and some of us will be chopping and changing you know every week and having multiple projects on the go and using lots and lots of different materials and that's energy is fantastic and we need all of those representations of types of creators and creatives so I just wanted to say in this podcast multiplicity is okay something to be celebrated and to see the strengths in and lastly I think it's also you know if we're looking at the benefits of interconnection and exploring interconnection in our art making we've had a look at obviously outside influence and copying we've had a look at art as interconnection itself so that you know it's an it is a representation it's a form of interconnection the result of interconnection I think I forgot to mention in there the obvious one as well that it's an interconnection between our feelings and sometimes our identity So that's also a big one, is that our art making is a product of memory and feelings and self-concept. But lastly, I wanted to touch on like that responsibility to understand our interconnection with the environment 
So again, like interconnection, I think is just a really valuable concept to look into. And when we think about it in relationship to environment, it helps us feel the responsibility to care for our environment. You know, the paper we use comes from the trees that grow. And thankfully, these days, there are recycling programs for paper and cardboard. And you can often find post-consumer recycled paper, which is brilliant. I find a lot of artist quality paper is, or some of it's cotton. But you're not always aware where the paper has come from and like what's in the mix. So uh, there is so much room for growth here. So I've always had a really big interest in the environment and sort of really struggled with modern life in the way that that there can be a real disconnect between nature and animals and humans and that can be incredibly frustrating and it can be incredibly confusing and it just makes me feel a bit lost sometimes so and I would just like to see that change and and to kind of balance out the benefits of modern production as well so it's not it's not about giving things up and I think yeah where do I I don't know even how to start this discussion because I feel like sometimes this discussion alienates people sometimes it doesn't you might be on the same page I think a lot of you will be on the same page but I'm sure I'm going to challenge some of you and if it's not for you I hope you can continue listening to other episodes or I hope you listen to it and reflect on what I'm saying but I do think that this subject is really important for us to start having more and more discussions over and thankfully there is a lot of discussions around environmental impact I think it could be so much more nuanced. So many of us have such a big heart for the environment, but it's like something that you have to really intentionally look into to understand and the relationship with our art making and our Im- impact on the environment because a lot of art materials are really resource demanding and a lot of them are really toxic. <laughs> And don't get discouraged. There's so many options out there and I think there's so many middle ground options out there so you don't have to like swing completely the other way. But we do have this interconnection with our natural environment. Like we are not separate. We weren't aliens that got placed on the planet. We are here living with other beings and living with so many different plant species. And although we see ourselves as the superior you know whether you believe that or not like we still have a responsibility to care for our home and care for our neighbors which are animals and I something that I've always believed in and I've always had an interest in is um, more environmentally friendly living and thankfully my family was motivated that way and over the years has become more and more products and knowledge and I'm still kind of like waiting my waiting my way through and learning new things all the time and breaking down kind of consumer commercial ideas and just questioning so there's so many different areas of our lives and so many questions and there's you know household cleaning and there's food and there's transport and there's clothing and it's just like it's enormous so I always encourage you know any of us anywhere along the journey is to look at one area at a time and consider the interconnections with that area and like what we can do to change to be more ethical and when it comes to art making when I opened um, my Perth studio in 2020 I promised myself that I would only buy and purchase as much as possible materials that were environmentally friendly so if there was an option I was going with the environmentally friendly option Um, and that meant spending more money a lot of the time so it meant buying crayons and things that used natural beeswax it meant 
spending a lot of time researching sometimes with no fruition because a lot of art materials don't don't cite their sources and so you know often with paper I still had no idea where it was coming from it meant paying for recycling so you work with kids you have to have texters well you don't have to but you know and if it was a household setting maybe with a couple of kids you don't have to but I felt like if I didn't have texters it was actually limiting my practice so I bought texters but I also signed up to TerraCycle which is a wonderful Australian company that recycles different materials that aren't captured in mainstream recycling but you pay for it you you have a box and you fill up that box and then you send it off and it was so good like it was so good but you know there are sacrifices to make you know I could have saved that money for something else but I chose that it was more important to me to try and have an ethical practice Um, I learned a lot more about watercolor and gouache and what goes into the binders and so a lot of them have different types of gum so they are actually naturally sourced gum that comes from trees like saps and different things and then I also learned a lot about acrylic paint and that I had an acrylic free studio which was challenging because I like bright colors kids like bright colors adults like bright colors and acrylic gets you those bright colors it gets you fast drying times and I did trial some earth paints which were wonderful and they were a big compromise like they were earthy they were made out of the earth so Although they had different colours, they weren't the bright, clean, fast-drying, opaque, perfect consistency acrylics that I was used to. So there was a big big adjustment. But I think when you adjust because you understand the interconnection and the responsibilities we have, it just makes it easier. And for me, that value overrid anything else. And at times, I have had to take a couple of steps back. I've had like really hard and fast rules and then I've gone, you know what, Is this isn't helpful for my practice or it's not helpful for my client work. I am going to make some compromises backwards here. So, you know, I might have a few things that I've recycled or purchased that are, you know, more synthetic or more glittery or fabrics, um, for example. But I'm mindful, I guess, about how I dispose of them, but also making the most about of them and where they're used. And so you'll come into my practice or my art studio or my, one of my workshops and you'll see plenty of things that don't look environmentally friendly. But I'm mindful and intentional about how they're used, where I get from, get them from and where they go to, to the best of my ability. And there are lots of swap, swap outs you can make. You know, even just researching lead pencils, I found that some companies are really clear with where the wood comes from their pencils and others are really vague or they come from countries that are known to not and companies that are known to not source their wood ethically that they use old growth forest wood for most of their wood products so yeah it's a fascinating topic and obviously I'm talking about visual arts because that's where my experience of buying art materials are but there's so many different areas of creativity and disposal is the biggest thing disposal so even things like acrylic paint if you are an acrylic painter I don't expect you to necessarily have to stop that. That might just be too overwhelming and too much for you. And, you know, that that medium is really important for your practice. Do not wash it down the drain because that drain, you know, it eventually ends up in the rivers and the oceans. We do have treatment plants here, but I know there was a big thing in the UK for a while and that sewerage was ending up and actually documented and publicly, you know, released timetables of when it was pushed out into 
the river and I'm not sure what sort of processes it had gone of um before that if there was if there is some sort of um process and plant that it runs through but at the end of the day if there's all of this stuff in our water even if it's being treated at a treatment plant what intensity does the treatment plant have to use and what sort of chemicals do they have to use to try and break down some of these substances so you can almost guarantee at least some of it is going into our waterways which is so unhealthy because acrylic paint for example is plastic so if you are using acrylic paint it's still going to end up in the earth which is not that much better to be honest but even if it's still isolated to an area so letting it dry out rather than washing it away um, and where you can try and look for like alternatives so and you can also have a go at making your own paints which is pretty exciting there's lots of stuff historically about people and lots of recipes out there so you buy your own pigments or you make your own pigments from collecting different plants and leaves and you know powders and soils and things and then you mix it you know things like egg and honey um, you can probably buy binders as well but there's lots of natural things that you can mix obviously oil's a big one um, to, to mix with them and make your own paints or your own watercolors and yeah have a look have a look in your area because there are more and more artists I know there's a couple local in Albany I know there's a lady Carly who um, listens to this podcast um, and she's wonderful and very inspirational because she mixed her pigments to make um, different watercolors and different paints and she's currently on maternity leave but I am hoping that she and if you hear this Carly this is your call call to action I'm hoping that she will run some public workshops actually and um, expand outside of her practice to sharing those skills with other people because that's something I don't have any knowledge on and I would love to learn how to make my own pigments um pigmented paint um, whether that's watercolor or otherwise so I think yeah have a look in your area so there's try and see it as an area for growth I think as soon as we feel it we see it as a retraction and a deficit and a loss then that's when we become resistant and avoidant of it Um, see it as an interconnection see it as a positivity that I'm interconnected with my environment I'm interconnected with the things that I love and I think Jane Goodall, David Attenborough, all these big spokespeople for the environment talk about that, like the importance of loving the environment, of learning about it will make you want to protect it. So if you roll your eyes at me and think like, oh, this episode, like why am I having to listen to Liana on her soapbox saying that we need to understand the interconnection between humans and the environment, I just want to make art. Yes, I don't want to take away from it. I don't want to make it a mundane, like negative, despairing experience for you. But if you love the environment, if you find the things that bring you joy, the flowers, the trees, the waterfalls, you know, what is your favorite animal? And you think of those animals, it's enough motivation. I can guarantee those loves will be enough motivation for you to think, what could I change? And I'm not saying change everything. And I'm not saying change everything overnight. But figure out those little things. Are you recycling your paper? Are you using double-sided when you're experimenting? Are you sharing your unused art materials with different charities or with other artists? Are you using your snippets of paper and fabrics in a collage box or are you using things to make your own wrapping paper like there's all of these different ways that we can try and close the loop with our waste products from our art making we can reuse them or reformat them into different things or there 
are ways that we can just slowly switch out and we can all when it's when we're due to buy a new material so obviously don't chuck out what you have because that's kind of that's <laughs> that's like a little bit contrary to the task at hand our goals here but if you when you next run out of lead pencils or you next run out of glue or whatever it is have a look like have a look at the company see if you can find any information on there have a look at you know the material itself is there any swaps you can try or or any swaps you can make instantly I do have a blog post on eco art materials and I do want to do an update because it's a couple of years old there is just continuously more and more things on the market where people are understanding that we're interconnected and that we need to be mindful and people are constantly exploring ways where we can still get that brightness and that quality and all the benefits that modern materials give us to our creative practice without also damaging the home that we live on. So that was the last point of interconnection I wanted to talk about today. Hopefully I have got you thinking and engaged you. Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast.